0: We've had given to us. <clears throat> some of you gentlemen have to go to work tomorrow. I think you might as well start now. <laughs> Yay, yes. I have a hard time getting myself to come down to earth in an Alcoholics Anonymous because of what some people have said is progress. And I was taught in the beginning a lot about the anonymous. Well, they don't have anything like anonymous anymore. Let's <laughs> open this meeting with the use of the serenity prayer that is commonly called a lay prayer, but that's also false. <coughs> it was uh, used by Greeks even before the Bible. So you had ought to know it and had ought to apply it. So we uh, repeat the serenity prayer altogether. God uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Well, I'll thank your chairman and your group for inviting me here to visit with you about my understanding of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Any part of it you don't like, why I throw out your window and don't take it. Any part you do like, all right, keep. I'm argue about it. That's wonderful. But boy, there's nothing like a bunch of drunks arguing. Boy, oh boy, they love it, you know. <coughs> I go to these Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and I stand in, I stand before the biggest bunch of liars in the world. saying, can alcoholics, Boy, can they lie. You know, i admit it, but you do, you know. You go home and can hardly sit on the chair and your wife said, you've been drinking? Well, I had two beers. What about, what about the four thousand you had in between, you know? (laughs) And then they get up and they tell you some alcoholic stories. Gee, God, I've heard some awful ones. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Some guy drank gasoline to butter Now you know that's a damned lie. (laughs) Make you sick, but it wouldn't make you drunk. Some guy drank four quarts one morning. That's another lie. After four doubles, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> See? Oh, that we lie. And that's what we learn in Alcoholics Anonymous. We learn to shut that off and learn to be honest. I've had the privilege of doing some things that you folks never will be able to do because of time. I knew in person Dr. Bob and Bill, been in their homes, Henrietta Stiebeling and Lois Wilson, and so on, drank coffee with them and then. so All I've got out of the Alcoholics Anonymous way of life Came from the foundation that they gave me. I've never read a word in the A-A program, and I've done without drink. And that shows that you can't do it. But I don't think you had ought to. A lot of good things for you to read. <clears throat> but I remember Doctor Bob. When the first time I ever heard him lead a meeting, he made use of sentences out of the Good Book. A lot of us are a little fearful about something that we think is religion, but that's not true. This is not a religious program at all. He said, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Well, what did that do to me? I'll tell you. I have a thinking problem. Mind, heart. I have a thinking problem, and that was it. and some more things that I have taken from them uh, they had uh two people get together talk about stop drinking, and they had a few steps handed in several of them, and then they had some uh, arguments about different things. Some came from the Oxford Movement. Oxford Movement is a group out of England, Oxford University, Oxford Street, and so on. And they uh, would have one form of public confession. They'd gather around the room and they'd say, uh, well, I stole $10 last week. Well, we'll pray for you and forgive you. Now, don't do it again. If I got drunk last week. Well, we'll pray for you and forgive you. Don't do it again. Now the Oxford movement is built on four cardinal principles. They call them absolutes. They are unselfishness, honesty, purity, and love. Henry Edislaverling brought them over to this little group as they studied in the home of T. Henry Williams and his lovely wife who just passed away a couple of months ago, age of 92. Then they kind of separated. They got some steps. And they had what they call four absolute cardinal principles, and some people said it was just impossible to be absolutely honest. But they are the cornerstones of Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's impossible or not. So let's keep them. Let's use them. They've done more good for me than all the rest of the writings in the world. Four little words. <coughs> well, and they had them. Um, some things written and so on, and they had a remarkable man, brilliant newspaper man out of England, former Oxford man, Australian so on. His name was Jim Scott, run a second-hand bookstore and he was in this new way of life. and he edited these steps, and then they argued us somewhat about a name, and they come up with Alcoholics Anonymous. He gave a good definition of it. Naturally, we didn't want to put everybody's name out. And we still had not ought to do that. I have no right to go down the street and say, hey, I didn't know that Joe Bill was such a drunk until I saw him in an AA meeting. I don't have the right to do that. I don't have the right to go to an AA meeting and stand up here and say, you know, there are doctors in the groups. There are uh, scientists in the groups. There are. no I don't have the right to do that. All I have to do is take care of me. So Jim Scott, he said, the real, true meaning, as far as we alcoholics are concerned, of the word anonymous is Christ or God or Good is unknown to you until you admit defeat, and in our case, it's alcohol. Study that out and see. Well <clears throat> there a few people and they got together and they had what they call meetings. Well now they have I call it a bill affairs, They right? Read off their meetings for a month ahead or something, I don't know. It used to be they set there to be twenty five or fifty two, hey, get up here and talk. And somebody said, Well, I I didn't prepare And you never prepared to get drunk, did you bastard? Get, get up and talk. <laughs> So that's
1: the way it was. That's the
0: way it was. And that was awful interesting to me, and that's what I've learned. So what they do they stand up here and tell them a little bit about their drinking career. Now, this is interesting to some people. I do it because I know that the alcoholics are gossipers, Boy, do they love to gossip? Now, tomorrow... Down at the shop or at the grocery store or someplace, you'll hear something. You, can you know that band that slip under the bridge or two? They're, they'll talk about me and they'll let you alone. see? <laughs> so, uh, give them something to talk about. Full of gossip, you know, that's good for you. <clears throat> but we study the individual, and that's what I want you to do a little while, study me. And then I'll turn around and I'll try to study the whole make up the whole thing. There are people say, uh, they drank for many, many reasons, and these are always interesting to me. Drank because I was Irish. I know a lot of Irish people drink and they're not alcoholics. Drank because I was German. I know a lot of Germans who drink beer and they're not alcoholics. And they're Italians who so say I drank a lot of wine. A lot of friends of mine are Italians, and they drink wine, but they're not alcoholics. Well, they figure out some other reason why they drink, and I think each one of us has a reason why we drink. And now, now to see why, maybe I can shatter some people's beliefs. I came from a family of good church people. There's a big difference I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous between church people and so-called Christians. My mother and family, our father would have family worship. They'd bless the food and read the Bible, go to church and sing and teach a class and pray and so on. Yet my mother would stick her head out of a window and condemn the neighbors for things my mother didn't think were just right. Then my dad would attend that service, go to church, teach a class, the superintendent of Sunday school. Yet he would cheat in his business in order to make an extra dollar. They were dry people. They never tasted alcohol in all their lives. They were dry. But they were not sober. And that's the beautiful part about my understanding of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. I am not learning how to quit drinking. Now, that's no trick at all. You can't quit any other way. Cut your damn throat. You'll quit. (laughs)
1: It's no trick
0: to quit drinking. I quit drinking 52,361 times. Because that's
1: both.
0: <laughs> but sobriety is the way we think. There's only one little sentence in all of the Alcoholics Anonymous writings, all the books and all the pamphlets, only one little sentence that has anything to do with alcohol. The first step, we admit, we're sober. That's it. The rest has something to do with sobriety. And that's what we study. Now, I haven't been sober since I've been in this room. It's impossible for me to be sober more than a minute at a time. I have a hard time controlling this mind of mine. And the reason I wasn't sober, somebody stepped on my foot back and I said, I'd have cut your damn throat, you bastard. So I wasn't sober, but I'm not crazy. And so but people, when they start to talk, they'll say, I am a recovered alcoholic. Some silly statement that I don't have any use for, but that's what they are, you know. 1908 is when I took my first drink and when I got drunk. 1939 is when I had my last drink and I had been drunk for about eleven months previous. I have not had a drink of alcohol taken intentionally in my system since January 28, 1939. And I will repeat, I have not been sober all that time, and I never will be sober all the time. Yes. I get the desire to drink, and I learned that from Dr. Bob. My body always wants to drink, but my mind says no. I to study a family. I have two brothers and two sisters. They never tasted alcohol in all their lives. I am the alcoholic in the family. I have a sister a couple years younger. She's a trained registered nurse, but she is diabetic. Now, we had the same parents, we ate the same food, we went to the same church, went to the same day school, played the same games, and had the same friends. Why am I an alcoholic and she isn't? Why is she a diabetic and I'm not? I don't know and I don't care. I am never going to waste any of my time trying to go back and find out why I'm an alcoholic. I don't care whether it's because my dad wasn't a drinker or my mother was. I don't care. I don't care whether they dropped me on the floor when I have born or not. I don't care. I know I am. And from here on is what I've got to do, do something about it. First, we have those lovely people who are various kinds of uh, titles, psychologists and so on, and they try to get us to believe that we uh Well, one very good word is a complex. Got a complex. Well, you was uh, a poor family, born in the ghetto. You was uh, not blessed with enough money to get an education. You couldn't dance. You couldn't play football. You have complexes. That's a damn lie to I know a girl, and I've told this before, but it illustrates points. This girl was born into the world with bow no legs. She had a couple of legs that could wrap right around the barrel.
1: <laughs>
0: As a youngster, nobody else would play with her because she was bull legged They wouldn't jump rope with her play at new jacks or anything. Nah, she's bull legged They made it insulted her, you know. She went on up to high school and nobody would associate with her. They wouldn't have her go to any of the social affairs. She was bow-legged, poor thing. Got her up to the senior prom. Well, she mustered enough the courage to go. A room such as this, you know.
1: <coughs>
0: poor bull legged girl standing up against the wall. And there was a fellow there, probably something like me, and he had a bottle with him. Goes over to this poor wallflower, now she's bow-legged. Have a drink of this bottle, huh? She took a drink. And one leg, that's great.
1: Then she took another drink.
0: And the other leg got straight. You know, she danced herself into AA 17 years later. (laughs) Now, she's still (laughs) bow-legged. Well, I want them to answer the question, where did her complex go?
1: Uh,
0: Where did it go? (laughs)
1: Well,
0: that's true of all kinds of complexes. If you think you got one, throw it out the window. Now, we got a disease known as alcoholism. Well, I drank all through my early life. It may not be all right for me to illustrate, too, the benefit of what we had in the beginning, and that was a doctor, Dr. Bob, a physician. And he had an awful lot to do with the uh, development of this AA program. See, he was a physician. So he compared this disease to diabetes. Now, people think this is a little silly, but it's a very good thing for you to think about. A person who has diabetes will go to a doctor and he will test your blood and say, well, it is too bad, but you're diabetic. Now, why, they don't know. They don't know why. Something to do with your pancreas or it gets mixed up with apple pie, but anyhow, you're diabetic. Now, you can have no more... Uh, fats and no more sugars and no more this and no more that, and you must take your insulin not to be cured, no, but to keep well. They will never be cured. So our Dr. Bob said the same thing is true with the alcoholic, except nobody in the world can tell you you're an alcoholic except yourself. You have to decide that. Then you decide you're an alcoholic, and he also told us that in order to keep well, you must do like a diabetic, and that is take medicine. Their disease is physical. Ours is mental and spiritual. And ours is composed of three doses. First thing in the morning is to get your mind clear and make a contract with your understanding of a higher power. This is commonly called prayer or quiet time, whatever. You can read something if you want to, but make a contract with your understanding of a higher power. Like Dr. Bob said, God, you and I together could do without a drink today. And the second dose of medicine is because you've done that in the morning, you will be given the opportunity during the day when you need it the most. You will be tempted to lose your temper, to take a drink. The lie, cheat, steal. You'll be tempted. That is the time for you to forget yourself and go and help your fellow man. Not always sponsorship. Maybe you can help somebody down the shop, drop his wrench. Maybe you can help them to get up. Oh, well, you're gonna lose some production. Production What do you want? Production or do you want sobriety? Help your kids with their lessons. It's hard to tell. And then the third dose of medicine is the attendance to the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and the attendance to them regular. And you don't go here to hear somebody tell a weird old drinking story because they can make them up. There's a guy down at your high penitentiary and he'll write you the best lead you ever heard. He never took a drink in all his life and he's in the pen because he killed a couple of people. Yeah. Now, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings to partake of The power of the Spirit that's at work everybody that's in that meeting. We don't get it anyplace else in this world. We don't get it in a union meeting, in a large church of fraternity. No. And if you want to prove it sometime when you're at a meeting and it seems like there's a lull in it all, and take a look at the person alongside or across from you. Look at the happiness and the peace and the contentment on that face. That's why we go to alcoholics anonymous meetings. You don't got to learn to see who's sober, who got a divorce, who got a job, who got a raise. No, it's not our business We're learning how to contact and live with our understanding of a higher power. And that's the alcoholic's level. Now, your doctor will tell you, the diabetic, if you don't take your medicine, you're going to maybe go into a diabetic coma. We will tell you the same thing. We will give you a foolproof guarantee that if you take your medicine that was prescribed by your sponsor, you will remain dry. But if you don't, you're going to have difficulty. And that is the beautiful part about it. God, I'm glad I'm not like my sister. No, I can eat anything I want to. I don't have to run around and shoot myself with a great big needle. Hurts like heck. No, my medicine is beautiful to take. <clears throat> well, in order to get here you would generally have to have somewhat of a drinking experience, career and so on. I drank drank in high school we had a teacher that gave us some alcohol in our chemistry class to perform experiments with. Well I drank mine The heck with any experiments done. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to be I wanted to read the law and so I uh the old night school law school with a couple years. <laughs> Then I wanted to travel and didn't have money, so I took a job as a salesman. I traveled all over the country. I worked for the Hershey Chocolate Company and sold candy all over. And now I've been in hey. i learned an awful lot about me. Yeah, I learned that I was going through what they call blackouts. And, God, that was wonderful. John, I worked in the northern part of New York State for a whole week, and I didn't know until I got paid. See, it was wonderful. I didn't know whether I had a cold or my feet hurt. I didn't know a thing. And it was a funny thing about I sold more merchandise and collected more money that week than I ever did before. Now, a portion of my mind was working. Yeah, I remember they put me in a car down in the Southern Hotel in Columbus, sat me back on the wheel, and I drove all the way to Cleveland. Don't ever remember leaving Columbus. A portion of my mind is working, but you can't depend on it. That's why we see these drunks going up the road, weaving around. A part of their mind is working. They know that there's a wheel in that car, and they know there's a pedal on a brake, and that's about all that they go. <coughs> yeah, there's a part of their mind is breaking. Yeah? Crazy bunch of idiots. I quit their on the road and took a job in an office. Now, I'm <coughs> Under 25 years of age, and I've already been arrested and been in jail <clears throat> once for being drunk and once for embezzlement and so on. I've had a little bit of trouble with drink. That didn't bother me. What the heck, other people go to jail too. <laughs> but I heard people say something about pity. What do they call it, self-pity? First time I went to jail, I woke up somewhere in the neighborhood at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I was laying on the floor, four those for that floor, and I woke up and wonder where I am, and I found out, hey, look at the bars, look at, here, I'm in jail, that's where I am, yeah, I'm in jail. So here I started then with this stuff called pity. Oh, 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 here I am. <coughs> I went to high school, I was president of the Y-high-Y y class, uh, and then I was the best quarter miler on the track team. Everybody looked up to me as wonderful. There all those sweaters I want to look at me. In. Here I am in jail. I'm a jailbird. Some girl in the bunk, I'm fellow in the bunk above me, he said, what the hell's the matter with you? Why well, I was the best regarded young man in this whole town, I was. Did you know who my old man was? I said, no. Well, he said, he's Mr. A.E. Adams and he owns the American Chico Company. He's worth $70 million, and I'm in jail because I'm drunk. Now go to bed, you son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> <coughs> well,
0: <coughs> I, I got out of jail. I was so ashamed that I wouldn't walk up the main street. I walked up the alley. Oh, I was ashamed. I was, you know, I had self-pity. I was full of remorse. Oh, you know, it's wonderful. Six months, you know. I was told oh, that I wouldn't go near town, near that jail. Oh no, no, no. Well, something happened. But I got drunk and I landed in jail again. Well, uh, I get the same thing. I was ashamed. I walk up the alleys <coughs> and so on. But this time it only lasted for seven months. After I was arrested the first time, I got arrested three times in one day and didn't mind it a bit. <laughs> now. He didn't bother me. Well, <clears throat> I quit traveling the road, and I took a job in an office, and I promoted very rapidly. Somebody also has said that uh, this higher power, he blesses the alcoholic. They stagger across the street, and they never get hit. If they do get hit, they bounce back up and wouldn't get another drink, anyhow. We're lucky, you know. <clears throat> well, anyhow, I got an awful good job, and I promoted very rapidly. I in the financial side of a great big company. So I got married and I bought a house and I paid for Bought my wife a car and I had a car. Went to the city club and the country club. Looked at myself as a youngster and I said maybe this won't last forever so I bought a great big handful of insurance so I could retire at the age of 45 on a couple hundred dollars a month and so on and so forth. I'm powerless over economic conditions, too, because when I was 45, I couldn't buy a short beer. (coughs) (coughs) Well, uh, got bowled out once in a while from the boss. Now, I didn't drink on the job, but I did after. That's what he didn't like. Your mouth gets awful slippery. Get around these places and the happy food drinks and you start telling them how many checks we got floating in Pittsburgh and Cleveland and so on. Now, I have to cut it out. Oh, all right, all right, I'm doing a good job. same thing was true at home, you know. And the county treasurer and his wife come out to our house one night and go to play a game that was kind of popular then and was known as 500. And <clears throat> of course, when you have what they call or drinking, the alcoholic, he always makes us a drink. The first one is a little crack ice, a little ginger ale, a mouth of whiskey, and you take it into the card table and serve it. Now, the alcoholics to go through an awful joke. You'll sit there, and they'll sip, and they'll sip, and you'll say, Jesus Christ, drink that down, you, so <laughs> yeah. Well you, saw and get Well, you'll stand it a little while, and then you'll drink yours down. You don't care what it is. Then you go out to where you got it, usually in the kitchen, and you get one of yours. Mine was a quart. Now, when <laughs> I, I had a quart in me, I go into the card table... I'm ready to play. They're sitting there sipping on a little old ounce of whiskey. That's it. Now I show you exactly what an alcoholic is, and if you don't know, he's a drinker with his feet firmly established in midair, and he does everything backwards, and that's exactly what I did. I threw him out from my wife out and kept his wife. Now, that's the way the alcoholic works. Yeah. It sounds humorous, but that's awful. That's a terrible way to live. We had this little boy of ours born where everything lovely was born. We have one of our steps and says something about making amends. Did you ever study that out a little bit and see how deep it is, how big of a responsibility it is? Make amends? I've got a little boy of ours laying in a crib, say, four or five, six, seven months old, laying there, And you go in and look over that strip, and you look, boom! That little thing looks up, and he sees something more hideous than he'll ever see in any zoo in this world. And he'll smell something he will never smell again except in all the toilets in the world stink. I shattered his nerves. He's 45 years old, and he's still nervous because of me, what I did when he was a baby. How can I make amends? I can't make amends to him. The only way I can do it is to be kind to other people. Those are just one, that's one of the things, but I got lots and lots of them. I have an awful lot to do, to make amends. That is beautiful home, and I have heard people say they drank for many reasons, complex I drank for one reason, and only one reason. I lacked humility. I did not want to admit defeat. John Barleycorn could never lick me. I'd go in, in the morning, you bastard. You got me drunk yesterday, but I'll show you today. I won't let you lick me today. That afternoon I was back again, fighting them again. Takes an awful lot of humility to admit defeat. Try it sometime. And this little kid try to have a little fight around the neighborhood. Today you got licked in there. You know, you go after that kid again get in the morning, get another licking. So it took a little bit of humility on your part to stay away till so you got a little bigger, a little stronger, whatever. Yeah, thanks humility. My home, which was actually beautiful, and beca- not because it's a nursery possession, but because of a picture that's indelibly impressed upon me, shows where I was at the peak of my pedestal of ego. The great I am. I am the best. I had the drinking this night. And I came downstairs in our living room. I'd going to get some cold water. There, in this living room with the buff-colored walls and the French windows and the great, and the rose-colored sofa up soap against that buff-colored wall, with one soft light burning. There was a lady dressed in white, beaming by that sofa. What in the world are you doing down here at this hour of the morning? She said, "I'm praying. Praying for what? We got a house. We got a car." Got a healthy baby boy, you've got society, go to Europe when you want to. What do you want? I want you to stop drinking. I want you to be sober. Don't bother about me, lady. I'll quit when I get ready. Now, that's true with everybody. sponsors can talk to you. You can throw you and I out of St. Thomas Hospital. And your loved ones can plead with you. Doctors can frighten you. If you don't quit, you'll get cirrhosis of the liver. A cop can get you into jail and say, if you don't quit, I'll throw the key away. You'll quit when you get ready and not until. That's me. My wife studied me after a little more drinking, a little more trouble. In 1925, she said, you are an alcoholic. Ladies, where in the world did you get that? She said, I don't know except I've been studied you. Every time you take one drink, you want more and more and more and more, and you keep on going and going. The other night we had guests out here. I took a drink. They took a drink, and that was all. You took a drink, and you messed up everything. No more friends. break our furniture. When we went on our vacation, she said, I took a drink, and that was all. You took a drink, and I didn't see you for three weeks. You are an alcoholic. You are a sick person. I said, that's fine, lady. Now, when I get drunk, you'll have to help me. That is, in 1925, I had admitted to myself and to another person, I am an alcoholic. That's ten years before anybody ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not what it says in Alcoholics Anonymous at all. There are alcoholics in this room and in every meeting in the world, and they have admitted to themselves and to others, they're alcoholics. But they're going to get drunk. Again, and again, and again, <clears throat> until they become honest and sincere with themselves, and admit they are powerless over alcohol, and that's the difference. That's the difference. In <clears throat> well, 1929, I found a new bootlegger, and I bought a bottle of Canadian Club from him, and it was made of wood alcohol, and I was stricken with total minus. And most people who said, Jesus, God, if I go blind, shall he quit, not me? I said, Say God, if you are punishing me for drinking, I'll show you how to drink. And I did. Yeah, I started drinking. I lost the job, I lost the home, I lost the wife, I lost the boy. But that didn't matter. I could still drink and get drunk. There are people say, I hear them, right off. Better quit or you're going to lose your home, your divorce, your wife will divorce, you. I got lost well without a home. No taxes to pay, no rent to pay, no clothes to buy. Better quit, or you're going to lose your job. I got lost well without a job. Made more money, I was making worse working. You, you don't have to quit because of the job. <clears throat> Doctor in the hospital said, if you don't quit, you're going to die. You're going to die with, 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 with the liver or cancer. So what? I said, the guy in the bed out next to me, he died last night with TB. So what? Didn't fight me. No. nonetheless you want to, you can make up a reason for your quitting It that might be helpful. Now, I have watched people die. Didn't fight me in the least. I 32, there was 13. I stole a five-gallon candidate of the alcohol from the gas station. We took another bridge and we drank it. Next morning, 11 of them dead. You stumble over a lot of dead bodies, You say, you ought to quit. Not we, two. I was sick and nervous. He was sick and nervous. I had to have a drink. He got us a drink. It was all right. <clears throat> so what? Well, <clears throat> there are people with worse stories than mine, but as far as I'm concerned, I have the worst story in the world because it's the one that got me to stop drinking. Your story didn't praise me in the least. Now, my story got me to stop. If your story had to get you to stop. So about 1932, I started to think a little bit. I am now in a, condition, in a state of mind that Dr. Bob labeled some people just want to want to quit. Try to understand what that means for yourself. I know, for me. Just want to want to quit. Now, I wanted to quit. I wanted to want to quit. Did I? Yeah. So I went to church. There before a congregation, 800 people, (coughs) pastor prayed for me. Dear Lord, please forgive this man his sins. Well, I had done a lot of things that wasn't just right. God, I'd written an awful lot of bad checks, charged all kinds of things to other people's accounts, just an awful lot of things. (coughs) Then he said, "Dear Lord, here he comes now. This drunkard." Uh, uh dear Lord, please take this appetite away. Well, I went across the street to the beer guard, and said the good Lord took the appetite away, and he didn't. I got drunk. Yeah, I don't know. Some people have said, and I hope they're honest about, I never get the desire to drink anymore. The good Lord took them away from me. Not me. Oh, no, not me. Well, I'm glad he did Yeah, I'm glad I still get the desire to drink. Maybe that's fearful for all of course, Some of you could not be. I'm glad. Because it's a reason. The reason I'm glad, it's a reason I get the desire. Take more of the medicine that was prescribed by your sponsor. Pray a little harder in the morning. Help a few more people during the day. Attend more meetings. If I didn't get the desire to drink, I wouldn't have to take my medicine. I could go down and do something else. Maybe I'd be back drinking before too long. I don't know. I went to the other churches, made no meetings in the Catholic Church and so on, and I was getting worse and worse. Round to where I was taking cures, I took a cure at 83rd Street in Cleveland, got drunk at 79th Street. So I was a so good.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and I was strapped to a bed in St. Francis High Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for 14 days. They fed me intravenously. Good old priest down there, he liked me all right. Ah, and, uh, and, uh, He bought me a ticket back to Youngstown on the train, two dollars, three, cents. Very nice, father. Now, he said, when well, you have to have a drink, Want a drink, take a glass of beer and go home. You dumb monkey, I first place, I don't have a home. And I don't like beer. But I didn't tell him. Uh, so, uh, I got down to the depot and I got rid of his chauffeur and I sold the ticket for down on the corner and bought two bottles of rubbing alcohol and I drunk all over again. Now i not in front of a judge in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now I don't know how I got there, whether I rode a bicycle or a stone bull, I don't know. So what the heck? Well the county where I lived, they used to give me $45 every three months as a buying pension. I spent mine on boots. So they knew I used to pay more in taxes than they were giving me, so they engaged the psychiatrist for me, and I went to him for 5 so-called treatments. Beautiful office. The poem was all over the wall. Brilliant man, yeah. I sat across the desk from them, beautiful desk, carpet on the floor, wonderful. There I was, with blue shirt, pair of trousers, and tennis shoes, and the witty. So he had his great big pad and his pencil, and he started now, when you was a little boy, did you, uh, jump up with the girls to play marbles with the boys? I didn't tell him, but I said, you dumb cluck, I played with the girls every chance I got. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he asked a whole of silly question. You know, uh, it's so beautiful to be an Alcoholics Anonymous and go into another person's life. We don't want to know where you went to school. We want, don't want to know where you were. We don't want to know how many times you've been in jail. We don't want to know what you did with a kid. We don't want to know. Do you have a problem with alcohol? Do you? And do you honestly want to do something about it? That's it. We don't want all this bunk written down on paper like this. Anyhow, he went through page after page. of and, and the fifth one, he said, um, Well, you are... <coughs> a hypochondriac. <laughs> you are a kleptomaniac. My alcoholic mind says, you're an important son of a deer. If you are those <laughs> things, you just got you entirely to get drunk. Yeah, I'm a... <clears throat> Anyhow, here's what he told me I had ought to do. I had ought to get something to do and work at it real hard for about an hour. And that would make me tired, and then rest, and then get a hobby. This alcoholic mind of mine, it's a shrewd thing. Didn't tell him, but, if you're ever going up the main step of the town, you're going up <coughs> South Main Street in Akron, see a man and woman come, you step between, them. hey mister, give me a dollar, give me half a dollar, give me a quarter, give me a dime, give me a nickel, give me a cigarette, give me something. The last ten people, eight of them will spit on you. One of them will slap you, and one of them will throw you a dime. That's damn hard work. Don't think it isn't. He said, work at something. You make you tired. <coughs> then rest. When well, you get arrested, and you stand in front of the judge, and he said, well, you're back again, are you? Well, they'll like it. Well, he'll give you 90 days out here. you get a long time to rest. <laughs> this is my psychiatrist telling me how to quit drinking. Work hard, get tired. <laughs> then rest. Then did a hobby. I had a hobby. Any time I saw by drinking, I enjoyed them. I know. Huh?
1: <laughs>
0: well, I thanked him for all of these instructions. I said, I got a little change here. I'd like to have a glass of beer. You're an awful good fellow. The county's paying this bill. How about joining me in a glass of beer? Well, he said, it's quitting time. Sure, I'll join you in a glass of beer. He goes up his office, got in the elevator downstairs across the street, got up on a couple of stools. Two hours, he was drunk and I was drunk and I said, your goddamn program don't work.
1: <laughs> and it don't work.
0: <laughs> I look back, I look back 30 years ago we had a falling in Youngstown go to AA meeting every Sunday night. Every Sunday night went to an AA meeting. Yes, sir, I got it this time. Oh, he's a smart save and God, he made money handle a fist he made money. Smart. Me. Yes, sir, I know how it is. got a hold of myself. I said, Did you drunk, Marty, go to psychiatrist on Tuesday, spend a $100 with him, By Friday he'd be all right, and go to A.A. meeting on Sunday. He did that for a couple years. Well, what good did it do him to go to psychiatrist? What good did it do him to go to A.A.? That's what he'd have to answer. His answer was at 8.8, but he didn't want to accept it. January 28, 1939, I was living in the basement of an apartment building, (laughs) Youngstown. There was a gentleman I used to know when I was in the office, and he used to be a stock salesman out of Cleveland. I used to see him coming in our office, going up front to talk to the (laughs) officials. I got acquainted with him. I've uh, introduced him to some of the bootleggers in town. He did some drinking. There are some of you people here who may remember him. His name was Jackie. Jackie came all the way from Cleveland, spent his own money, took his own time to come down and talk to me. He was surprised when I told him, I'm an alcoholic, mister. I know that. I've known that for 18, 20 years. I've used it. I've gone in the hospital in the morning and told that not time, Jesus, God, I'm nervous and sick today. Get me a drink. He would. I'd go to the jail. I'd tell that guard where I happened to be last week, and I got a, Hey, old boy, get me a drink. Jesus, God, I'm sick. I'm going to die. He would. I'm an alcoholic. I used it. Yeah, but that's not quite what we have in the Alcoholics Anonymous program. We admit we're powerless of ourselves to restore us to sanity. Then he gave me four cardinal principles. At that time they used to call them absolutes, honesty, unselfishness, purity, and love. That was my instructions into the Alcoholics Anonymous program. He left me. I lay there for a couple of days, the first two of which I didn't know for sure whether I was going to think or die or live or what I didn't know. Pulled my hair and tore my clothes, robbers, sleep low if I wake up. I had to drunk on and off for 11 months. I weighed 93 pounds, had no teeth, was totally blind, had a cane and so on. Jesus, God. Well, a couple of days of that, and then my mind started to function a little bit. Well, oh boy, you bought this and you paid cash for it. and I'll suffer it out. That's true. See them laying over St. Thomas Hospital in the. <gasps> Not my fault you're there, Mister. It's your fault you went and bought it. I didn't. You bought it. You paid cash for it. I'll suffer it out. Yeah. You think I'm going to wave a wand over your head and say, get up and go back to work. No, you've got to, you've got to suffer now. Yeah, yeah. as I laid there, I got able to think, Jesus, hey, you're all alone. Well, that's right, I'm all alone. There's not a person or a thing in the world knows where you are. That's right. Hmm. Well, I've been alone before hotel rooms, box cars, jail cell? Why? Why is this different? Because he had given me hope. And that is the thing that we are privileged to carry with us every time we are invited to another person's life. We carry with us hope. And there's hope for every alcoholic, every narcotic, if he only wants to be honest and sincere with himself. Nobody can instill that in you. You have to do it yourself. So, <clears throat> then I had ought to develop a belief in a power greater than myself, and that drove me up the wall because Jesus, I'll and go out and shoot a couple of people, go to church, for a hundred dollars and get kidding. My dad who prays the table and then cheating cheated his business. Ah, what the heck's this right? But I'm drunk. I'm in an awful mess, and he looks awful good. Yeah, he's awful good. He's back working. He's wonderful, huh? Yeah. But if you remember, Jack Dell had what we call a the of spiritual experience of the telephone booth from Buffalo in Buffalo, New York. That didn't come to me. No, no. So as I laid there, my mind started to function a little bit. <coughs> I said, I didn't have a drinking problem, but I had a thinking problem. I thought myself into every drunk I was ever on. I used to be working, making money. I used to love to go to Ohio State and see old Chick Harley play football, 1917, along in there. I used to love to go out South Bend, Notre Dame, and see the four horsemen play football. Along about Wednesday, I'd get a couple of quarts. By Thursday, they'd be gone, and by Friday, I'd be drunk. I'd get out to a football game, and I didn't know whether I was playing tittle and winks or what I was doing. took me three days to think myself into that drunk. Yes. Yeah. And I have to think myself sober, too. Well, now, I had <coughs> no home to go to, no job, no income of any kind, nothing but a white king. Well, they took away my blind patron. I used to sell a magazine now and then to make a bite eat. When I started out into the world, I became honestly, sincerely grateful for the privilege of being an alcoholic, for the privilege of being invited into the Alcoholics Anonymous program for the privilege of having a man love me enough to come 60 miles away and stake his time and his money. So my Alcoholics Anonymous program was of gratitude, thankful. So every hour on the hour, I stopped in my mind and I said, thank you. Now, I don't know if I'm thanking God or angels or heaven or hell, I don't know. But I just say, thank you. I hear a whistle blow, I say, thank you. I hear a clock time I say thank you. And I went along through life doing that, sold a few magazines, made a bike eat now and then I was there about eight weeks and they had a little meeting. That yeah, six off the hearts and four women get together at the house. These people had jobs, they had homes, they had income, they had cars, they had good bodies, everything. I went. They talked a little bit about the oxford movement, a little bit about Dr. Bob and Bill and a few things like that. And then they talked a little bit about drinking. <clears throat> and then they closed with the Lord's prayer. And then this fellow in whose home this meeting was being held, he come over to me and he said, I want to send you something. I said, yeah. said, you're half-blind old bastards. You've got no more intention to keep them sober than the man on the moon. The only reason you're coming up here is get acquainted with these people so he could beg. Now the thing for you to do is stay the hell away. That was my introduction to alcoholics anonymous, And I'm thankful for that. I went back to that mattress I laid there, and I said, I'm going to get drunk, and I'm going to, to kill that bastard. No, I won't. I'm going to kill his wife, and I'm going to kill him. No, I won't. I'm going to kill all those damn babies. <laughs> because here I am, down at the bottom, and they don't want me. Society don't want me. It's not to say no. No, the thing for you to do is to go there and go there regular, and don't take any help from any of them. By the grace of God, that's what I've I stood on the street corner two and three days at a time, and they'd go past and they'd say, Hello, hello. I wouldn't ask one of them for a nickel. I wouldn't ask them for a cup of coffee. I'll die here on this street corner before I do. I never have. Well, I was dry 18 months before I got a job. I got a job for the help of the judge who used to put me in jail. I worked for the state for about 30 years. That's right five years before I was reunited with my wife and boy. Now, the simplicity of the Alcoholics Anonymous program that I was taught by Dr. Bob a lot of times, and his wife and I loved her. A lot of things about this. Bill Wilson. Some of the things that have been so solid in my AA life Dr. Bob. He always wanted to drink body, but his mind says no. Let's keep this simple, don't mouse it up. Grow by attraction and not promotion. We don't have to sober up the world, and we never will, and well, nobody else ever will. We don't can. No. Don't we'll run around with a sandwich slide. Hey, will you give me a job? I'm in AA. Get out. Oh, grow by attraction and not promotion. Bill Wilson had an emotional spiritual experience in Dr. Silver's Hospital in New York where something said to him, You can keep dry, not sober, you can keep dry 24 hours at a time by helping your fellow man. He started out into the world to do that by carrying a bottle with him. Give a drink to the guy so he could talk to him. He did that for six months. And he was not successful. And he was discouraged. He went to his home with little wife Lois, now living in a little apartment. one day lived in a well home provided by a millionaire, now down to a little apartment. She was an 18 year, 18 dollar a week clerk in a dance store. He was discouraged. She said, well, Bill, bring them into the house and let's see what we can do with them. Now, that don't mean a house made of brick and stone. Well, It means you take them into your heart. When you get the opportunity to go and crawl on somebody, first, the most important thing you have up to do if you want to be successful is to do like Dr. Bob and Bill did when they contacted Bill see? They're laying in the hospital in African City Hospital, East Market Street. They talked to him and talked to him and he was drunk. Talked to him some more and he drunk. Dr. Bob would give him some tomato juice and talk like talk to him some more, he was drunk. Two o'clock in the morning he got so he could think and he could listen and they said, Do you honestly want to do something about your alcoholic problem? Yes, I do. Will you do anything in this world to keep away from that drink? Yes, I will. <clears throat> Two great big men, one a physician, a college graduate medical man, another one successful businessman, a college graduate in commerce and finance. Both had been in the flows of alcohol. Two great big men said, Let's pray about it. There in that hospital bed, they prayed with those. That's why we have Alcoholics Anonymous. Not because of these pictures you see on TV. Not because of the magazine article. No, because it was built on a firm foundation. And don't ever allow anybody to take that away from you. It's possible for any to be hurt from within, never from out, can't <coughs> So Bill Wilson, who was uh, the motor type, had a few people, all right, so what with the Rockefeller Foundation, and he said, we have a way of life now, and it is helping people with their drink problem. They had enough people to prove it. Rockefeller Foundation said, well, you come back in a little while, three months, we'll say, and we'll see if we can, <coughs> well, help you out financially. And went back in three months. Yes, that's true. You have a wonderful program, simple enough for people to understand, and it is doing good, but there'll be no money for you. Bill was broken-hearted. Well, it would be good for us to give you a hundred million dollars, and you'll build hospitals all over the country, dry up these drunks. It would be good for us to give you fifty million dollars, a lot of books, literature, and so on. That would be good. But the good is the enemy of the best. Remember that as long as you're in Alcoholics Anonymous, the good is the enemy of the best that the best is for you to do what you're doing. Deprive yourself of some time, some of your personal possessions, above all your own interest in trying to help your fellow man. And Bill Wilson was so discouraged, us said, well, Bill, bring him into the house. That means you take him into your heart. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is as strong as it is. Most powerful thing in this world. We're doing things that nobody else has ever been able to do. Church, hospitals, unions, psychologists they haven't been able to. Here we are. Marvelous piece, marvelous piece of work. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how many people have been helped by Alcoholics Anonymous. I know in our vicinity of. Area of life. I could take time and, ma- and name over a hundred people that got their help in Alcoholics Anonymous and they don't attend meetings anymore. Well, maybe that's all right to them, but it's true. So there are, I suppose, there's a million people over the country that got their help through Alcoholics Anonymous and don't attend a meeting anything anymore. Well, that's a bit. Well, anyhow. What is it I want in this world? I want to learn to be sober. And I do that by continually practicing the simple principles of the Alcoholics Anonymous. I am first exceedingly grateful, thankful, that. The hospitals I went to and the so called medication I have taken didn't work. I am exceedingly thankful that <coughs> the threats that people gave me, promises I made didn't work. I'm thankful that the religion I was introduced to all faith Catholic, Protestant, Christian science, beautiful didn't work. I'm thankful. I am thankful that the psychologists and psychiatrists and nurse program didn't work. I am so thankful they didn't work. Why? So I, I had to suffer a little more, go through a little more hell, and come over here and meet the grandest people in this world. These are people you learn to love, not only for what they are but for what you are when you're with them. Can you review back a little bit in your mind and see somebody that you know going down the street, and you say, hi, Joe. Oh, uh, you A little bit later you both got into Alcoholics Anonymous and you're trying to live it. See the same fellow down the street? Uh, hello, Joe. Oh, hello, how are you? Well, not too awful good, but that's the trouble. Let's go in and get a cup of coffee and talk about it. These are the people you learn to love. We're here because our sponsor loved us and for no other reason. He didn't do it to build up his admiration. God, if he did, all he'd have to do is get drunk and stand up on the public square on his head. Yeah, we're here because your sponsor loved you. These are the people you learn to love not only for what they are making of themselves, but for what they are helping to make of you. There's a beautiful girl I know in the northern part of Stark County. Her father was a very successful steel man. He used to give her a little spoonful of alcohol when she'd have a cold as a little pot. She went on up to high school (coughs) and once in a while some of the girls would have Oh, martini or something, she might taste one, but that's all. She went to vassar and was a good student, and the girls there used to have their uh, eyeballs and their martini. Oh, once in a while, maybe once a year, she'd take one, and that's all, you know. After her graduation, very successful in every way, she got married to a very successful man also in the steel business, a lovely home. They had two fine children. <coughs> Husband used to entertain and have some drinks around, she didn't bother, no, didn't bother. They drank some, you know, it was always there, a big bar in the basement and so on. These two little youngsters growing up, they got in school, some unknown reason she started to drink, this lady. She had been introduced to alcohol many years ago, here she started (coughs) to drink. And she drank more, and she drank more, and she drank more, got bad. Kids would come home for school, and then she'd be laying on the floor drunk. Caused her husband and the wife a lot of anguish. She was worried sick. He engaged the doctor, but the doctor couldn't help her. He'd give her a shot or something. No more of it. Went to a psychiatrist. Big treatment. Big money. Go home and pretty soon get drunk again. Couple of years of this. She walked out. She walked out of a home, security, income, lovers, family, children. She walked out. Two months had gone by. There was a lady in Alcoholics Anonymous found her. Yes, she was down along the railroad track. Same dress on when she left. Her hair hadn't been combed for months. No lipstick, no words. She looked like a skeleton. This lady said, There is a way, there is a way if you want to be honest with yourself, if you want to be sincere. She did accept the alcoholic's anonymous way of life, and she stands before a group such as this. Yes, I am an alcoholic, and I have admitted I am powerless over alcohol, and with your help and the help of my understanding of a higher power, I have regained my self-respect, I have returned with my family, but above all, I have a way to be happy, peaceful, and contented. Now, when that happens, don't that do something to you? These are the people you learn to love, not only for what they are, but for what you are when you're with them. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is doing things that the other groups can't do. See, if I would have been sobered up by a psychiatrist, a good drinking, that's all. I wouldn't have to be honest anymore. No, I wouldn't have to be honest. I can connive, I can rationalize, and so on. Uh, My boss was a former probate judge in Montana. He had gone to school as an observer way back in 1930. Now, in this work I was in, we used to have, uh, we used to travel. There's 230 on the, in a department. They traveled over and above the state, and you have to turn in an expensive house every two weeks. Bus fare here and there, <coughs> meals and so on, and uh, telephone, postage, whatever. And the clerks down there in Columbus, they'd get these in the grover.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they'd do them with a fine-tooth comb. Boy, oh boy, if you're trying to... My boss, who did judge out of Louisiana, who had gone to some AA over there in Akron, King School, he said, you don't have to examine them. He's in AA. Honesty. Honesty. When I went to church, they didn't teach me honesty. No, I learned it in alcoholics and I've had the privilege of talking to schools a lot up around, <coughs> high schools around through here. There was a couple of young ladies, there were juniors in this high school, and they were going to take the <coughs> midterm examination. And uh, they were about to study in the, <coughs> in the library. And they uh, one girl said that. I know where to get a copy of that examination. We can get it, you know, and you and I can study it. And then we can get a good good grade, huh? The other girl says, no. I don't want you to get that examination. My parents are in here, and they teach us honesty in our family. I don't want you to steal that examination. Those two girls got the highest grade in that test. They didn't steal. And the principal of that school told me about three months later that they had put that story in their paper, school paper. Over we one third of those kids are practicing honesty in that school all because of alcoholics alone. I know a young man down in our camp, there he is, and he was a salesman for one of the companies, and he wanted to transfer employers. Do employer says, yes, sir, we'd love to have you you done a good job as a salesman around it. Everybody knows it. We'd love to have you. Yeah. And this fellow said, I will go with your company. But I will not butter anybody's hand. I will never put any money under the table to get another order. Boss said, you must be an A.A. He so, said, yes, I am. Honesty. Honestly. Yeah. Unselfishness. I have some of the grandest people in this world as my friends. I can't drive a car, but they're willing to go by. If I follow the rules. Either to help themselves or to help me, but I'm grateful and selfish. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about life is to learn to love each other rather than nice each other the way we used to do. I have a pretty good friend. I had something to do with him uh, getting into Alcoholics Anonymous some 25 years ago out in the Midwest. very brilliant man, too, not so well trained, but brilliant, dried up good, good eating, Made a wonderful appearance. He got in politics. He ran for United States senator, and he was elected. Don't oh boil by land, what they call landslide. Some people thought he ran for president. Alcoholics Anonymous. That was instilled in him. Honesty. He should have run last November, but he said no, no. He said I, I can't keep sober with that bunch of dishonest people. No more politics for him. It says, are you willing to do anything in order to gain and retain your sobriety? Yeah. Are you willing? And that's what he did. He could have run, got a good job, Senator, fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 dollars a year Oh, huh? No. No, I can't keep sober. So he quit his job. That has an awful lot to do with our way of life. In my way of looking at myself, the way I've studied myself, I have decided that there is an awful big difference between being in AA and having AA in you. I want to get more AA, in me, than just going in AA. And if we go through life taking the medicine that was prescribed, you'll be able to look at yourself like other people are looking at you. You see, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I would rather one would walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes are better truthful pure, pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good, good through action is what everybody needs. Thank you for the privilege of visiting with you. If you have received any good from anything I may have said or done. Don't give me any credit for it. But when you're all alone, that is tonight or tomorrow, give thanks to your understanding of the higher power. But